Hello, I'm Eric Holderman, and this is Disaster Zone, a podcast about emergencies and disasters. Disaster Zone will bring you interviews and commentaries about all aspects of disasters, from what causes them to how people and organizations are dealing with their impact. Today's podcast is being sponsored by The Blue Cell. As the nation's most active in-person and virtual incident command system and consequence management training company, stop by our website today to address your personal and agency training needs. Go to www.thebluecell.com. Welcome to the Disaster Zone podcast. With me today is Kyle McPhee. He is Haggerty Consulting's Director of Preparedness and has been within the emergency management field for 15 years. In this role, he has supported emergency management, homeland security organizations worldwide at all levels of government and the private sector. With this podcast, we will explore the virtues and challenges of conducting virtual disaster exercises. Kyle, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, and I have never done a virtual exercise. I mean, it's always been in person, so we'll be talking about this extensively. I'm very curious um, on your opinions and thoughts on, on them. So, you know, before we get into that, just real quick, what is your background in emergency management? I mentioned the 15 years. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So I started uh, as a as a first responder and have worked in various positions over the years in government and quasi-government entities. I've been in the private sector now for quite some time. I work for an organization called Haggerty Consulting and in supporting Haggerty and our clients across the nation, I've just had a tremendous opportunity to work from coast to coast with uh, all levels of emergency management, homeland security professionals, state, local, federal government, for-profit, non-for-profit. Uh, it's been a tremendous experience and and I think really provided me a uh, perspective on the needs at, at all levels to be successful. You know, just a little bit about Haggerty Consulting. Our firm is based in Chicago area, uh, but we have seven offices nationwide. Uh, on any given year, we work with over 100 different clients. And in 2020, we supported 40 different states with various types of projects. Um, within preparedness specifically, which is, which is my area of expertise, this really focuses on things like planning, training, exercise, program management, and assessment. In any given year, we manage, let's say, 100 to 150 uh, different projects doing that type of activity. Okay, and I did not know you had, you know, physical offices uh, elsewhere. So just real quick, where, whereabouts are some of those? Sure, yeah. So it's a, it's a great uh, story that we can tell. And the 2008 timeframe, we really pivoted our focus to supporting the state and local markets, uh, to helping them prepare for and recover from disasters. And since that time, we've opened offices uh, in New York City, Washington, D.C., Puerto Rico, Austin, Texas, um, Sacramento, California, and the list goes on. But it's really provided us the opportunity to be there um, in that local geography, in that community where we're working with our clients day to day. Okay. And... You know, this isn't about Haggerty, but I, I know in California, Haggerty was hired to handle the recovery from, I want to say it was the 2017 fires. Is that 
Is my memory correct there? We have a, a team in California. They've been there uh, several years and they are supporting a variety of missions, uh, the, the fires, COVID-19, et cetera, but uh, been tremendous to support the state and their needs to uh, recover from that event. Okay. Well, maybe we'll have the recovery czar on at some future time. So sure what, what was the, the opportunity? Yeah, what was the development genesis uh, for the concept of having virtual exercises? Well, I think as we start to talk about exercises, this trend for innovation was in place well before COVID-19. You know, speaking strictly from a Haggerty Consulting perspective, as early as 2014, we were uh, significantly leveraging technology to make our events more meaningful and to achieve our clients' objectives. That's when we launched our social media simulator. It's called EM Social Sim. that allows clients to uh, simulate real world social media environments in their emergency response activities. And then over the years, uh, successively since that has been you know, greater integration of mapping, uh, videos, other types of technology. So then March 2020 really is when this trend, I would say, uh, was accelerated tremendously as communities implemented non-pharmaceutical interventions and community mitigation measures, uh, we had to figure out the viability of these types of events in the context of that environment. And, you know, I think for many months, uh, the focus has been really on meeting the needs of the immediate, of the urgent, the COVID-19 response. But as we've become more uh, accustomed to this co-response type environment, uh, it's the recognition that floods, fires, tornadoes, other types of emergency management, homeland security events continue to occur. And, and it's kind of, you know, how do we balance the competing priorities that our uh, clients and in, in nationwide are uh, confronted with? And so over the past just roughly 12 months now, we've facilitated over 30 different significant events. These are events involving thousands of stakeholders nationwide that are strictly from a, a virtual environment. Okay. And did the Customers come to you saying, hey, we were planning to do this and now we need to cancel. And you said, hey, here's an alternative. Or did they you know, say, is there another way we could do this? How, how did that emerge? Well, as I mentioned, it's really been a collaboration in that uh, for a period of time, we, we had to take a step back from some of these programmatic or strategic priorities and just think through uh, how do we support our clients and their immediate goals of, of saving lives and, and preventing the spread of infection. But as the focus has come back onto those longer term and uh, more programmatic initiatives, looking at all hazards, uh, it was a collaboration on how do we continue to advance with these goals in the current environment, which is one where uh, social distancing is still a key variable, as well as recognizing that these stakeholders, the stakeholders that are participating in these exercises have been uh, taxed. They have been actively in, engaged in response activities for months, many of them working outside of traditional work hours. And so we need to really think about new models to continue to advance those larger preparedness initiatives in the context of a co-response environment. Okay. And yeah, who, who's your typical customer? And I always think about uh, the folks who engage with a consulting firm could be states, um, certainly larger metropolitan areas. I don't know, do you, have you done any work in uh, a rural type setting? Absolutely, yeah, I think that's one of the great things about our organization and, and uh, the values we project into in emergency management and, and the clients we support. We really welcome all clients. 
uh, for-profit, non-for-profit, government, local, state, federal. We have the capability of meeting the needs of large urban areas and, and small municipalities. And, and so within the exercise arena, uh, we've certainly supported all those uh, clients over the past months. Okay. And, you know, there's different types of exercises. I'm thinking seminar, workshop, tabletop, functional, full-scale drills. At, of those, what types of exercises have you been uh, doing virtually? Well, there's certainly ones that are easier. Uh, a seminar, a workshop, a tabletop, these are discussion-based events anyway. And so when you think about translating those to a virtual environment, um, those are very obtainable. It's a, it's a matter of identifying those objectives, adjusting those objectives to a virtual environment or the capability of the tools that exist. Um, and in many instances, what we're able to do is actually have dual objectives, objectives that are focused on the scenario at hand, what you're trying to validate, um, but also implementing your continuity of operations plan or your continuity of government plan using redundant forms of communication. Um, so in some ways, pivoting to this virtual environment has uh, accelerated the implementation and testing of, of continuity. Uh, but there are more challenging exercise environments as well. When you talk about functionals, full scales, and drills, uh, there are limitations to what we can do in a virtual environment. And so what we've seen is uh, there are opportunities to use mapping and, and the simulated movement of, of assets. And so that gets us to a certain level, especially in more uh, strategic conversations. Uh, but the, the, you have to get back to the original intent. Why do we do full scales drills? And in most cases, it's to validate that a capability can meet certain objectives or uh, capability targets. And since 2017, many of the stakeholders that we work with day in and day out, they've been in one form or another engaged in continuous response. And so what we've seen a, a tremendous need for is as much as creating a new exercise or drill, it's making sure we're learning from the existing body of work that's occurring in the real world environment. And so many of our consultants have deployed into that real world environment to capture lessons learned in a very dynamic way as response continues and to formalize after action and improvement matrices for our clients so that as response continues, whether it be from hurricanes, wildfires, or COVID-19, that uh, it's a continuous process of learning. Okay, and has anybody endeavored to try and do a functional exercise or? We have, we certainly have. And you know, it's at that point, it's really about knowing the technology available to you and being able to leverage it to the greatest extent possible. And, um, and we've been successful in that environment. You know, really it, it, it's a collaboration with a client. It's working with smaller groups of, of, uh, of stakeholders uh, gathered at different locations and interacting using a platform. Okay, and uh, I would think whatever crisis information management system they they're they're normally utilized has to be part of that or is it incorporated or is it you know totally totally separate from it or depends yeah that's a great question and truthfully as we begin the process of planning for exercises in the current environment that's where we start it's what real world platforms are you already using or planning to use and how do we leverage those for maximum effect in the exercise environment? Because before we introduce a new technology, we have to make sure we're not being duplicative of something. They've already invested training and, and resources into uh, the platform. Okay, all right. So, you know, what are, we'll talk about challenges later, but 
you know, what are the benefits you've seen of conducting exercises virtually? Well, right now, obviously, we're in an environment where we're limiting all non-essential activity for the purposes of safety. And at the same time, we have a workforce that is taxed. It's been, uh, in large part, fully engaged in response for months. So we have to continue to prioritize safety. Uh, we have to reduce the burden on the stakeholders. And by using a virtual platform, we're able to achieve both of those goals. I think though, just a pure benefit that comes from leveraging technology and distance-based participation is that uh, we're no longer bound by geographic limitations. And especially when considering regional or statewide events, you know, it wasn't uncommon to have two travel days to participate in, a, in a, an exercise that was only a few hours. And so we've essentially eliminated that burden that comes out of cost savings, a savings of time and, and inconvenience. And so we feel like that's a real benefit and something that uh, could persevere, you know, beyond this COVID period um, as, as a sustained element of, of virtual exercises or hybrid type events. Okay. How about from a cost standpoint? Um, I would think it, it might be more costly for the contractor to do this work or, or is it cheaper on your end? Or, well, that's really a case by case discussion depending upon uh, the complexities of the event. And it's hard to, to say with certainty that it's, it's cost positive or negative. I think what we can say is that, you know, again, you're saving on travel, um, which is not just a, a contract specific discussion, but it's looking at the whole picture of all individuals involved, not having that expense of, of lodging, of, of yeah. transportation, of per diem. Yeah. Well, having participated as a consultant in exercise, you're right. You know, one of the big things is uh, for a physical exercise, you've got to assemble your staff to physically be present and you don't have to do it for this. So I would think economically it could be better, but there's more work up front perhaps in getting ready for it. I think that's a key point. You know, we focused a lot of the discussion on the event itself, but in order to be compliant with HCEP and so forth, the Homeland Security Exercise Evaluation Program, you're looking at a series of planning meetings leading up to the actual event itself. And oftentimes that's where the greatest cost is incurred in terms of time and inconvenience. So by making the entire work stream more efficient, there is a savings overall. Okay, and I was gonna ask later about HCEP, so you brought it up here now. Um, has, has there been any concern on the part of the customers or even FEMA, uh, people want, you know, they, they need to um, get credit for the exercise that they're conducting, that this virtual aspect does not meet the requirements of uh, HCEP or, you know, the, you know, they've got emergency management performance grant and they've got to comply with, you know, the deliverables and that. So has anybody pushed back on, no, virtual doesn't meet HCEP at all? We haven't experienced that. Uh, quite the opposite. I think everyone recognizes these are extraordinary times and that uh, everyone is doing their best to continue to advance the profession in, in the sight of uh, significant challenges. And so we've really seen FEMA and other stakeholders be uh, a strong collaborator and solutions oriented. You know, at times we've had to uh, work with extensions and other modifications to make sure that we're meeting all the standards and, and expectations that are out there. And and overall, the environment's been very positive to allow for those exceptions when they're required. But by and large, you know, approaching uh, an exercise delivery using HCEP or, or, um, or other standards that exist in, in the, in the uh, profession, um, 
it's, it's not hindered or enhanced by the virtual platform. Uh, we maintain that same process, the same process of planning and obtaining objectives and developing out the planning teams. Uh, it's just done in a different format. Okay. How about giving our listeners kind of a word picture of what one of these exercises would look like the, the day of? I mean, do you have uh, breakout rooms, for instance, and using a video conferencing tool or how, how do you actually do it? The mechanics well, a little bit. Absolutely. The great news for anyone considering a virtual exercise is that there are a, a tremendous number of low cost platforms now available. And so if you don't have a real world platform and incident management software or other tool that allows for that sort of interaction, you can obtain one uh, for the purposes of doing an exercise at very low costs. And those tools are robust. Uh, they allow for um, activity boards, whiteboards, where you can draw out or share ideas, draw figures. You can have breakout rooms, multiple sessions. There's polling capabilities, survey capabilities, mapping and video. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of layers. And, and I think that's really key as we drive towards engagement because a virtual environment, it can seem less engaging than sitting uh, right next to your colleague and, and having a discussion. Uh, but some of these tools really allow us to evaluate uh, on a metrics-based approach how engaging one of these virtual events is uh, by how, how many hands or questions are being raised, uh, the mouse movement, the participation in polling, and, and et cetera. So that provides us, as we're supporting our clients and achieving their goals, um, a lot of insight as to how effective the event was. Okay. All right. Um, all right. For our folks listening, we're going to take a quick break right now. And... We'll be back very shortly. Today's podcast is being sponsored by The Blue Cell. As the nation's most active in-person and virtual incident command system and consequence management training company, stop by our website today to address your personal and agency training needs. Go to www.thebluecell.com. And we are back talking with Kyle McPhee with Hegarty Consulting, the Director of Preparedness there. We're talking about virtual exercises. And Kyle, what conferencing tools do you use to conduct these exercises? I mean, there's a whole plethora, if you will. Adobe Connect, Zoom, Microsoft Teams, WebEx, Google Meet. Um, do you use whatever the customer uses or do you have a preferred platform? Well, the first thing we're going to do is work with our clients and figuring out what works within the context of, of their environment. Again, we want to start with what tools they already have. Are there real world platforms they're already using or familiar with? And then we're going to go through uh, a preliminary concepts and objectives process where we really hammer out what are we trying to achieve with this event? What's our intent? At the same time, what we've developed specific to this virtual environment is an assessment of their technical capabilities. What works within the confines of your information technology parameters? And oftentimes, and this is one thing that's unique about virtual exercises, you know, we're pulling in your information technology stakeholders early on in the conversation to make sure whatever platform we're using uh, is one that um, works within the context of, of the security protocols that are being used in your organization agency. And this is particularly important for any sort of regional event where you have stakeholders participating from multiple jurisdictions or organizations because they may have uh, diff different requirements or different levels of access depending upon where they fit within that organizational structure. 
And so from there, we can help navigate uh, what solution works best. And, um, you know, there are different solutions, as you mentioned, you know, Adobe allows for a lot of customization. Uh, it has some unique host functions. Zoom is, is very easy and intuitive to use. It, it facilitates seminars very well. It allows for polling and breakouts. Likewise, Teams, um, it can be accessed by many types of organizations. Uh, it can allow for easy file sharing and chats and maps. And so each system has its advantages and it's really important to find the right one that works for you. And what I'll say is just, as it comes to these systems, you know, the most important element, I'll just reiterate one more time, is doing that tech check uh, early on in the process and then prior to your day of delivery, because there's nothing more that sort of stifles momentum of your exercise day is, you know, if someone can't hear the audio or access the feed or participate in the way that you had intended. So really doing good due diligence at the front end uh, on those technical components is essential for success. Okay, do you do that like the day before or a couple days before? Exactly, yeah, whatever works, uh, of course, within the context of that engagement, but uh, you know, one or two days before, in addition to having that member of the information technology team participate in your planning process is, is the way that we've found to be successful. Okay, and do you have technical people on your side also working on the issue? We do, uh, and, and we're certainly able to help our clients through that process, but what we found is if you have an individual um, there local that's very familiar with your systems and limitations, yeah. that's gonna be the most efficient way. Okay. And so if I said, okay, I want to do something with you guys at Hagerty, um, we have no standard format here or preference. Um, would you re recommend one system over another to us or? No, no not really. I think, um, you know, we've mentioned a few on this call already. And I think that uh, many of them are, are high quality and they continue to get better. Uh, many of them have similar features. And so, uh, it's really, again, just about understanding what your objectives are of that event um, and exploring which platform helps you achieve those best. Okay. Well, we talked earlier about um, the upsides of doing a virtual exercise. How about the downsides of doing a virtual exercise? And just having done some after action reports already myself as a consultant for cities, you know, the bandwidth uh, was a, a big issue early on and people having the right equipment would be one. I don't know. What did you see that that aspect and what others would you enumerate here as being downsides for it? Yeah, Eric, I think that uh, you, you hit on a very important theme and that is, you know, we're talking about building capacity within a stakeholder group that is already at max capacity. That's been fully tasked to response and in many cases been in that disposition for months. And so uh, being very innovative and creative, maximizing the use of time is, is absolutely essential. Uh, but to get back to kind of the core question is what are those downsides of virtual exercise? I think technology has come a, a, tr a tremendous uh, distance and especially just even within the COVID era, uh, these platforms have come quite a long way, uh, but they'll never mirror or match that human interaction component in its entirety. And so, um, we do what we can to overcome some of those challenges. I mentioned earlier on about, you know, having an engagement score and paying attention to how uh, persistent that is throughout your event. Um, but 
there are other sort of limitations that need to be built into your agenda. For instance, you need to really account for attention span. And um, many times what we found is it's better with these virtual events to have more uh, shorter periods of activity as opposed to uh, maybe a single long stretch as we would have done in, a, uh, in an in-person environment. Yeah, so would, uh, would that be over multiple days? type of thing? Not necessarily. We found that even short breaks that allow someone to check their phone or email or just kind of step away from the screen for a moment have a positive effect in total engagement. Okay. All right. Um, well, how about the fact, have you seen this desire for remote support expand to other areas outside of exercise? It could be planning assistance, um, for instance, or just doing disaster recovery work could have a remote component to it. Absolutely, I think that's probably one of the biggest lessons learned from, from COVID is that we've learned we can do a lot uh, using technology and remote platforms. And we've seen these needs uh, sort of transcend service lines, everything from planning to response support. We have a large team supporting response to COVID uh, across the nation. And in many cases, they're not doing that from the EOC. They're doing that from some sort of remote environment. And so I think that uh, the trend is in motion. It's been set. We've learned a lot about what can be done remotely and, and it will continue uh, beyond COVID. Okay. And that, that's, I was going to ask you that next is, you know, once we emerge out of the pandemic and that's kind of hard to predict, I think uh, 2021 is going to be a pandemic year all the way to the end. But um, what do you think about like, for ex once we can actually physically be back together um, and social distancing is not an issue, do you think uh, there'll be virtual aspects to these exercises um, coming out of it, even though you're not being forced to it, but it, you enhance the exercise experience by a virtual component? I think so. I think this model is here to stay. Uh, some type of hybrid model will be the future. And I think what has happened over the course of uh, the past year or so is that the stigma around remote participation has been removed, at least in part. And that's gonna allow for those staff who aren't able to attend a, an event in the future in person to have a meaningful role from a remote uh, location. And, and I think that, that that capability has existed in the past, but oftentimes, that remote participation was limited maybe to listening in on a conference call and chiming in occasionally. And what we've learned over the past 12 months is it can be much more than that. And so as we think about future events, yes, there will be a desire to get back in, in a room or um, to, to mobilize those resources into a field environment. Um, but there's also gonna be another element, which is how do we uh, sustain all of the good things we've learned about this more remote participation capability the ability to have multiple locations, maybe in entirely different geographic regions, uh, participating around the same scenario, sharing information. And I think there's much more innovation to come in this arena. Okay. Well, we're gonna diverge from talking about virtual exercises. I'm gonna spring a surprise question on you that I know you can answer. So I, I have a lot of younger people trying to get into emergency management. I got a two part question for you is, someone's got an emergency management degree, is it possible to go ahead and get a job within a consulting firm with no experience, they've got a degree, but no experience? Is that possible today? 
It's certainly possible. I, I think we have many uh, strong stories of individuals who have been successful with us. The truth is we need uh, talented professionals at all level and we would be uh, open to anyone submitting a, a resume and going through our interview process, uh, especially right now. There is a, a tremendous demand for support from the private sector and, and that produces all types of opportunity. Okay. Well, listen, I, I do my disaster zone blog and I'll go look on your site for jobs posted and include this in there. And so what tip would you have for, um, okay, somebody's applied, they submitted the resume, they're going to have an interview with um, someone on the Haggerty staff. Uh, what are the mistakes that you see and what are the good points that people do? Because these interviews are now all virtual. So what, I, I, I hopefully nobody's in their pajamas, but uh, you know. <laughs> No, I, I appreciate you asking. Um, you know, we're looking for individuals who have strong core competencies. We're trying to uh, serve our clients. Uh, and we, we have individuals that join our organization that are public servants at heart. And so even though uh, we're a private entity, uh, we really like to see that passion uh, for public service, the commitment to community, uh, improving results in, in the disaster response, preparedness and recovery environments. And so I, I would just, uh, uh, tell your audience to focus there, to think through uh, their story, uh, their personal brand as to how they envision themselves contributing to uh, that pursuit, to making communities more resilient. And um, I think it always helps to, to have um, uh, something you're passionate about or something that's, that's been engaging to you uh, as far as, as emergency management or Homeland Security is concerned. Uh, always enjoy hearing that. And, and I think it shows genuine interest in the work that we do. Okay. And I, I know recently, and I did blog on this, you sent me a link to it. Um, you did a, a written piece kind of looking to the future in emergency management. So just thinking this bigger picture about the future in emergency management, what do you see around the corner as major trends? Eric, thanks for the moment to comment on this. Yeah, you, at our website, HaggertyConsulting.com, you can find our 2021 year ahead. And We've essentially outlined three or three major themes and some, some ancillary support themes that are out there. Uh, and just to quickly review those, uh, first of all, we feel like 2021 brings an era where emergency management moves uh, well beyond the traditional field environment. And that is redefining our field from individual incidents to an ongoing activity to enhance resilience. And uh, we think this is fundamental to some of the investments that are being made in our communities. And, and one of those, which has been discussed in recent days, uh, is investments in climate and infrastructure. And so we really think that presents a rare opportunity for emergency managers to contribute to conversations about the built environment and what our communities will look like, not just you know three weeks from now, but three years from now, 30 years from now, uh, really changing the, the scene of resilience and what it means um, to participate in that process in our communities. Uh, another, another major theme that we see is that housing insecurity and social vulnerability are going to be uh, a major uh, component of our total uh, community vulnerability. And uh, by that, I mean that uh, COVID-19 and, and the resulting mitigation measures have impacted certain portions of our population disproportionately. And there are some studies that have said that homelessness from uh, these community mitigation measures may actually be twice that of what we saw uh, subsequently to 2008 in the, in the Great Recession. And so 
uh, homelessness and housing was a major issue for emergency management pre-COVID. And we think looking forward that it will only continue to be a, a focal point and a limitation to our initiatives to make more resilient communities or to enhance the resilience of communities um, is something that we're going to have to revisit assumptions on. The, the ability to uh, tell someone uh, uh, what it's going to take to be prepared um, or what they should do might drastically be different in future years than it has been in the past. Um, related to that, we think that the evolution of technology that we've covered extensively in our discussion, um, it also presents new vulnerabilities for the field. And while cybersecurity and, and thinking through our, uh, our ability to implement continuity programs has maybe taken a, a backseat to our ongoing COVID response, uh, I think what the recent period has also shown us is that it is no less important. And the solar winds attack or even more recent events have shown us that we have to really think about the increased use of technology throughout our response activities. And as a result, uh, what vulnerabilities that might uh, present to our communities going forward. I'd just like to conclude with, you know, as a profession, I think 2021 is a great opportunity for us to advocate for our importance and entrench emergency management, not just as a, a, an ancillary task within government or something to be called upon when there is that high impact, low probability incident, but as a foundation on which a community is built and really uh, essential to sustain the basic functions of society. And uh, these, these next few months, as we roll out these vaccine campaigns across the nation, I think it just puts us in a very vital role at a vital time. Um, and emergency management is, is there for, for the job. I, I know having uh, spoken with professionals nationwide that there is both that strategic vision of how to be successful here and the ability to implement it tactically. And while there will be significant challenges, um, I'm confident we'll be successful. Yeah, I think what you just laid out, major events have major impacts on uh, the emergency management profession. We saw that with the terrorist attacks 9-11. We really had this seismic shift in what we focused on. Um, Hurricane Katrina was another major event that kind of swung the pendulum back to a more uh, even point. And now uh, the coronavirus and the pandemic is just as you described, expanding the horizons of all the different areas where emergency management uh, can be, will be, should be uh, involved in if you're thinking uh, holistically about community resilience. So thank you for those thoughts. So I just wanna say thank you to Kyle McPhee, Hagerty Consulting for being a guest here on the Disaster Zone podcast. Great, thank you so much, Eric, and uh, appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and your audience today, and feel free to reach out anytime. And thank you for that uh, offer. And you know, as we heard today on this podcast, the pandemic has caused us to innovate in new ways that won't be going away anytime soon. And now a reminder to everyone to be safe, think about what you can do today to become better prepared for the next disaster. Perhaps it will mean hosting a virtual exercise. Tune in again soon for more information on all aspects of disasters. You can also check out the Disaster Zone blog at www.disaster-zone.com.